This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Overnight out of Wyoming, a clear message from that state about the direction of the Republican Party. Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who was reelected easily less than two years ago, lost badly last night in her primary fight against her Trump-backed challenger, Harriet Hageman. Cheney's landslide loss was no surprise. She knew she'd pay a price for voting to impeach Donald Trump and then serving as the vice chair of the January 6th committee. Overnight, the former president writing, Liz Cheney should be ashamed of herself. Now she can finally disappear into the depths of political oblivion. So no surprise here, but Liz Cheney lost her primary in Wyoming. Her vastly underqualified opponent, Harriet Hageman, is a Trump-back election denier. And that's pretty much all it takes to win in a red state these days. And my bet is it's going to go very badly for Wyoming, but very well for Miss Cheney. Last night, the primary that everyone was watching was in Wyoming, the state with a population almost as big as a New York subway car. Now, <laughs> the reason everyone was watching this race is because Liz Cheney was running for re-election. And of course, Liz Cheney has been the most prominent anti-Trump Republican in Congress. She voted to impeach him. She's led the committee investigating him. Basically, she just will not stop talking about that one time he tried to overthrow the American democracy. And yes, she's a hero for standing up to Trump, but she still comes from an evil lineage, and if the rumors are true, she's gonna run for president, which fucking thrills me for a whole host of reasons. But if she becomes president, we can kiss our liberal agenda goodbye. Unless she somehow becomes enlightened, but let's stick with reality and assume that despite their passion and zeal, Liz is immune to the charms of her January 6th committee buddies. But truth is, Liz Cheney would be a fairly honest, but very old school arch conservative president. But will she run for president? I bet that's a decision she's going to make in the coming months. That's a decision that I'm going to make in the in the coming months, Savannah. I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but uh, but it is something that I uh, I'm thinking about. If she wins, it will be the first time in U.S. history that a father and daughter both held office as president. <laughs> How delusional is she? She's a Republican, and Republicans hate her more than they hate children. But the upside is, she'll split the GOP right down its distended middle. Who would have imagined a day when white conservatives turned on themselves? When the poor actually ate the rich? It's the beginning of something. I think she is not going to go anywhere. I think she will get a lot of attention going forward with the January 6th commission. And look, I mean, she's made it a pretty firm objective of hers to bring down Donald Trump. The new conservative counterculture, sporting boots and loaded guns, is apparently so dedicated to virtue signaling, their allegiance to Trump, their God and Trumpism, their church, and they've lost any appetite for actual governance and have gone all in to destroy the rhinos who cling to yesteryear. It's the end of the Republican establishment, the one that Nancy Pelosi looks back and longs for. Because we're squarely in the middle of the MAGAverse, and what's emerged out of it is the victimhood culture that's now clashing with and replacing the old honor and dignity culture. So Liz was replaced by a Trump surrogate. He wants to ring in? Yeah, I really want to. It seems so obvious, but this game is weird. 
My name is Liz Cheney. I'm the daughter of Vice President Dick Cheney. She's the daughter of Dick Cheney. Okay, y'all are being real tricky here, aren't you? I'm a Republican. Re Republican, she, she just said she's a Republican. No, sorry, again, that is wrong. What, how? The Wyoming Republican Party actually voted Representative Cheney out this week for opposing Donald Trump. But I am a Republican. <laughs> you might tell everybody that, but it's not what other Republicans say. Nowadays, Republicans are narrowing their scope to include only the few who do absolutely nothing to help their constituents, but do everything to signal their hatred for liberal anything. Look at poor old Joe Manchin, who delivers the Inflation Reduction Act, the giant piece of legislation, good for the whole country, but he can't catch a break at home in West Virginia. They've now labeled him a sellout. Now granted, he was a Democrat carrying the Republicans' water for a very long time, but it's not like he suddenly turned on his base. He didn't shut down the coal mines, but he did support clean energy. And that's the catch. Clean, green, solar, healthcare, education. These are nasty liberal words that real Republicans can't hear without fucking disdain. So basically, any GOP candidate that embraces the future is out. And the Harriet Hagemans and Lauren Boeberts are in. Quick Bobert sidebar, by the way. This is just another con game by the Democrats calling something one thing Gentlemen's and saying time another. Has expired. This is making the IRS with Gentlemen's time has expired. The, Pentagon, the, State the woman, Department, gentleman is no done. longer recognized. The gentleman from Missouri reserves the bell. Mr. Speaker. How much time do you need? The gentlewoman is no longer recognized. While on the floor of the House verbally attacking the Inflation Reduction Act, Miss Bobert was on a roll. Until the chair noted that the gentlewoman's time has expired and ultimately repeated themselves a total of five times, including banging the fucking gavel in an attempt to get Bobert's attention to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Gentlewoman's time has expired. And it does the exact opposite of what Americans need right now. This is just another con game by the Democrats calling something one thing and saying another. And yet she persisted despite the procedural warnings. Finally, they just cut off her microphone. Her sound goes dead. But the woman is nothing if not defiant. She didn't stop. No, she simply screamed the rest of her speech. Hey, Colorado, you do understand that she represents your whole state and not just the trailer park, right? So I'm just checking. An infrastructure bill? Yeah, we spent $200 billion on Green New Deal initiatives. I guess that was just a down payment on this never-ending theft of American tax dollars. We are sacrificing, you are sacrificing American families at the altar of climate change. Now back to our story. A recent op-ed in the New York Times suggests that despite being twice censored by her own party and losing the Wyoming, Wyoming will suffer without Liz Cheney. They've got one of the highest suicide rates in the country, the highest incidence of workplace fatality, and a desperate need for hospitals and schools. Last I checked, bitchin' won't solve those woes, but legislation might. 
So lucky for Liz, the old guard still controls the state legislature and Wyoming's two most populous counties. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she fears for our very democracy if Republicans win in November. Do you? The fate of democracy and the Republican Party in the wake of Liz Cheney's loss. I think we have to make sure that we are fighting against every single election denier. Uh, The election deniers uh, right now are Republicans. But the battle for the heart of the party is raging right now in Colorado, in Illinois, Idaho, Texas, and Arizona, where more election deniers are expected to win, but probably not serve the state that elected them. Any party that elevates symbolism over governing risks stirring mass revolt down the road. And interesting but not unexpected, recent polls found that the college-educated folks in Wyoming don't give a shit about identity politics. They just want stuff to get done. Look, I think the Republican Party today um, is is, uh, in very bad shape. And I think that uh, we have a tremendous amount of work to do. I think it could take several election cycles. But uh, the, the, the country has got to have a Republican Party that's actually based on substance, based on principles, you know, based on uh, a belief in limited government and low taxes and a strong national defense, a belief that the par- that the family has got to be the center uh, of our community and of, of our lives. And uh, those are the principles I believe in. That's what the party used to stand for. And, and we've got to get the party back to that. So when the smoke clears, when Republicans have trashed all their sacred cows, law enforcement, small government, religious freedom, when they have become what they claim to hate most about the left, it's then that the Liz Cheney's of the world will rise again and call as cucumbers, they will cancel the culture wars because it makes Republicans look like victims. And that's not the Cheney way. They're fine to blame victims, but they don't want to be them. The key point here is that in her own understanding, Congresswoman Cheney is standing up to Donald Trump, not just for the sake of American democracy, but for the sake of the institutional vitality and indeed survival of the Republican Party itself. And I think she is right on this. And I think it's underappreciated how right she is by everyone. Because here's the thing, what the Republican Party is and has been cannot continue to thrive or even exist if the MAGA authoritarian cult takes over. There is no space for that institution in the world in which Donald Trump is successful, in which he successfully overturns American democracy. Which is to say, to save the Republican Party, you actually must save American democracy. But here's something I can relate to. Liz Cheney got stuck on the truth. And in this environment that didn't begin with Trump, but has certainly been fueled by him, the truth is a liability that will eventually elevate you and give your life new meaning. Cheney said last night in her concession speech, Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. That was the path I could not and would not take. Keep your eye on Liz Cheney. She's going to be going places. The Republican Party is the party of law and order. Our party stands with the men and women who serve on the thin blue line at the federal and state and local level. 
And these attacks on the FBI must stop. Recent development, former Vice President Mike Pence chose a politics and egg breakfast Wednesday morning in Manchester, New Hampshire, to reveal he considered testifying to the January 6th committee if a formal request were made. If they were to call you the committee to come and testify, talk, would you be agreeable? Well, I would, if there was an invitation to participate, I would consider it. But you've heard me mention the Constitution a few times this morning. On the Constitution, we have three co-equal branches of government. And um, any invitation to be directed to me, I would have to reflect on the, the unique role that I was serving in as vice president. Um, It'd be unprecedented in history for a vice president to be summoned to testify on Capitol Hill. But I, as I said, I don't want to prejudge. If there's ever any formal invitation rendered to us, we'd give it due consideration. He'd be the first vice president to testify to Congress since Gerald Ford in 1974, when he had to justify his pardon of Richard Nixon in front of a judicial subcommittee on criminal justice. Pence is furthering the divide between he and the former president, I mean old school and new school, but no one can speak to the events in and around the January 6th like Pence saying Friday, I have to reflect on the unique role I was serving in as vice president. As you recall, his two top aides have already spoken to the committee. Also in his speech Wednesday, with regards to the Mar-a-Lardo search, Pence said, Calls to defund the FBI are just as wrong as calls to defund the police. And the truth of the matter is, we need to get to the bottom of what happened. We need to let the facts play out. Pence, too, is expected to make a run for president in 2024. Giuliani, he spent much of the workday in that courthouse behind me, about six hours or so with this a special grand jury. And just keep in mind, when we're talking about a grand jury, we're talking about 16 to 23 people. They are citizens of this city of Atlanta, of Fulton County. Uh, and so he is in this room with prosecutors. His defense attorney is there too, but unable to say anything. This is all about the prosecution putting on their case. So the fact that he was in there for about six hours, he came out. He didn't face the cameras when he came out. He, he slipped out through a garage in a uh, an SUV with blacked out windows. Uh, so we don't know what he said, but the mm. fact of the matter is he was there for six hours. So if he wasn't cooperating in some way or saying something, you'd think that it would have been a much shorter appearance before this grand jury. And another quick update. If you didn't know it already, Rudy Colludi fucking Giuliani, well, he's fucked. Trump's unpaid former lawyer is now the target of a Georgia grand jury investigating Trump's post-election shenanigans. He was in court Wednesday morning where he now finds himself on the business end of a possible indictment. If you'll recall last week, he was told he'd have to appear even after he complained that he was too feeble to fly. 
Rudy Colludi declined to say how he managed to get to Fulton County to appear in court, but it appears that the grand jury is particularly interested in a number of false assertions about election fraud that he made in a previous visit to the court. It's not clear what charges Rudy might face, but a grand jury is allowed to draw its own conclusions when witnesses or targets invoke their Fifth Amendment rights in declining to answer questions. So Rudy, maybe it's time to really start talking, you dumb schmuck. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show intrepid newsman Ali Velshi, host of Velshi and seemingly the favorite fill-in host of every other MSNBC primetime news show. Velshi also reported live from the front lines of the George Floyd protests and most recently he dodged incoming fire from Russian artillery when he fearlessly reported live from the front lines in Ukraine. A concerned citizen of the world, Velshi seems to be everywhere there is injustice. Last week, Velshi sat down in Tuscaloosa with six of Alabama's last abortion providers and advocates who continue to fight like hell for reproductive rights and women's health care. And in the same week, he spoke with YA novelist Halsey Anderson about her controversial book, Speak, on the Band Book Club podcast. Velshi has been a contributor at CNN, Al Jazeera America, NBC, MSNBC, to name a few. Velshi is a prolific writer, has written books, articles, and columns for newspapers and monthly publications throughout the Northern Hemisphere. So let's go now to this conversation. Okay, so Ali, nice to have you back, my friend. It's been quite a shitstorm these last few weeks. So let's just jump right into it. Yeah. I've got my theories about why Donald Trump held top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago, which I discussed on your program. But I'm interested in your take on why Trump didn't turn over the material that the National Archives had requested. Why weren't those documents in with the 15 boxes that they hauled out there earlier this year? And also, do you think that there was an actual leak? And if so, who do you think it is? Well, the best theory I've heard about who it is is uh, from one Michael Cohen, uh, who definitely thinks it might be uh, people yeah. very, very close to Team Trump. And that's that's your thesis. I'm going to have you talk about that a little bit. But I, I asked a lot of lawyers on night one when we first found out about this. How could this be? How could it be that the National Archives knew that there were documents, requested them uh, and, and, and got some stuff? And yet there's other stuff that definitely shouldn't be at Mar-a-Lago at Mar-a-Lago. And this was before on night one. We didn't know that there had been uh, both a, a, a subpoena to get more information and a visit uh, from Jay Bratt to um, Mar-a-Lago to get more information. Who holds on to this stuff after they know someone knows it exists and is out there? And I guess you uh, would would know that sometimes, as lawyers who defend clients say, my, 
clients not 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 acting in the smartest interest. They may be acting in some interest, but um, the idea that that stuff exists may speak more to hubris or may speak more to the idea that they they don't believe that they could be guilty of doing something wrong. And in the early days of this, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we were still thinking. Is the crime here just hanging on to documents you shouldn't have because you're not supposed to take government documents away? Or are these documents of value? Are they important? Are they of national security importance? And it seems as we've gone on, we found out that there's more to them. This this isn't pictures that you weren't supposed to take from the White House. So to answer your main question, why would Trump have them given that he knew that there were people looking for them? This only you can explain, which is why I booked you onto my show to say, what on earth did we think? <laughs> what went into the safe? Like, I mean, if you put something in a safe, um, you you know that it's valuable information, valuable something, right? That somebody might come to get it. So the idea that there might have been stuff in the safe. Now, again, we heard that they took passports they weren't supposed to take. So I don't know if the passports were in the safe. We don't have enough information yet, but none of it looks exonerating except for the fact fact that he had two old passports and one current one taken away that wasn't supposed to be taken away. Yeah. First of all, I don't even know if that's true. Did you see that on the list of items that were seized? Because I remember when the FBI raided my home, the hotel, they gave me a list of items that, you know, were taken. Now, of course, it's not specific, but if it was the passport, which they did confiscate, you know, they had me um, turn the passport into my lawyer. They didn't right. take it, but they list they would list something like that. I didn't. It wasn't see on that. the list, but it does seem to be that the, the 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 government has acknowledged that they did take the passports and and are uh, and have returned them now. Uh, but again, that just could be, you know, I, I don't know. You know more about this than I do. But what these gathering of all sorts of documents looks like, uh, you know, it, Trump didn't make it easy, right? He knew they were looking for stuff. And and he didn't sort of say, here it is. It's all here. It looks like these guys had to rummage around stuff and, and grab stuff and inadvertently maybe grabbed a few things that weren't part of the uh, part, part of the warrant. OK, so let's just go back a little bit. Right. Because when Trump left office, you know, I don't know whether or not he's going to pretend that he's a historian because, you know, Trump doesn't know shit about American history. Not a goddamn thing other other than maybe George Washington is our very first president. But, you know, for the first two centuries of our country, outgoing presidents could take whatever they right. wanted. Right. And they just did. They used to be declared that the material was considered their personal property. However, for the past four decades, every single presidential you know, president has you know, turned over every single document, whether it's when we've seen this from other presidents, they doodle, you know, a dog or something on a piece of paper while they're talking to one of the other dignitaries. All of that becomes um, part of the National Archives, uh, considered to be the property of the American people, up until, of course, former President Donald J. Trump, who then decides that he's going to take a whole slew of shit with him, and of course, to Mar-a-Lago. Now, as I said on your program, I have two issues. First and foremost, I do truly wish that the media would stop calling Mar-a-Lago his home. It is not his home. It is a private club. And that's what makes the fact that these documents, these boxes, what originally was about 27 boxes, all right, 
makes it extremely dangerous. We know that there was a Chinese dissident, um, some woman who had a thumb drive that yeah. was lurking around Mar-a-Lago. There was an FBI investigation into it. Nobody still knows what that was all about and so right. on. It is not a secured location. I don't right. care how many fucking padlocks he puts onto right. the basement door. Mar-a-Lago is not a secure property. Yeah. Nor... Is it justified and correct that he would take it in the first place? So the first time around, which is at the beginning of the year, they reach out to Trump and the National Archives and they retrieve 15 boxes of documents. And then a lawyer, and I don't know who the lawyer is, but a lawyer on behalf of Trump signs a document claiming that there are no right. more boxes, there's no more documents, there's no more information being stored there at Mar-a-Lago, which we know to be a lie. So the first question I think that the Fed should be asking that attorney, well, did you know that there were more right. documents there? Did Trump tell right. you to say that there are no more documents? And one of the things I brought up on your show, which I think is the most important question, that I asked you, and I'm waiting for the answer on it. Question is not what were the documents. We know that they're classified, and I don't believe we'll ever get a chance to see them, unless, right. of course, it's determined that they were declassified, and then everyone's, it's off to the races for FOIA requests. But it's not the question of what, you know, uh, what, you know what's inside those boxes and what the documents were but why did donald have them in the yeah. first place and and again, what's your thought well to the degree that that let's let's assume we we don't get any closer than we are in finding out the details but if there were things having to do with nuclear stuff or or weaponry or tactics or things like that donald trump's history in office is one in which he was not a responsible handler of important information, national security information, right? He was he was loose-lipped, and he tended to be loose-lipped uh, with those whom he liked. Um, so with the uh, with the Russians, he was loose-lipped. You mean you mean like Karen? You mean like Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels? Well, uh, <laughs> loose-lipped. <laughs> I meant in terms of diplomats from other <laughs> countries that he told gave information oh, to. Oh, I but, see. But that but it's all relevant, right? It's the idea that. If you are a former president and you know things, there's some stuff in your head, right? You can't classify or declassify what's in your head. But this idea that he doesn't have a history of being particularly responsible with information that may be in the interest of national security. And at the given moment, uh, since he left Mar uh, since he left the White House, he's been involved in, in uh, an activity that is uh, decidedly anti-democratic. So my thinking is, is this usable and sellable information or is it information he can give people to curry favor? Now, I understand that I have no basis on which to know that it is, but his history is that he does this. He tells people stuff that he might curry uh, favor with. And right now, Donald Trump needs all of his friends around the world a lot because he would like to be president again, maybe because he really does, maybe because he's got uh, legal jeopardy that he's facing and he believes that being a candidate will allow that to look look to every investigation into him to look political. Whatever it is, Donald Trump needs to run, he needs to win office, and he needs his friends domestically and internationally. And having a stash of information that might be of national security importance might be a really good thing for him to have. Again, pure conjecture, it's his own behavior that leads me down this path. If I were a fiction writer writing about Donald Trump, that's what I would say. I would say, you know, needs people. So maybe he's got stuff. And let me and let, 
Yep, and let me give you my conjecture onto it. I believe it's different than that. First, I've stated on this program and television, what wherever, that Donald is not going to run in 2024. First of all, he knows he can't win. Um, that's my position. It's been my position since day number one. This whole thing is a grift, which he's already succeeded in bilking these stupid supporters of his to over half a billion dollars into some wackadoodle pack that gives him 90% of the money that's collected for his own discretion, meaning his pocketbook. I believe it's for, and this again, I'm going to couch it in your words. This is my conjecture. I believe that he's using it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. I believe he's using it to hold over DOJ, Biden, and the entire country, to hold it over our head in the event that they show up to slap cuffs on him and, you know, and um, decide that they're going to mm -hmm. charge him with some type of a crime. I could easily, based upon my tenure mm -hmm. with the guy, I could easily see him saying, listen— you want to put me away? You want to destroy my life? I'm going to destroy the United States of America. I'm going to burn the whole fucking country down. And let me tell you how I'm going to do it. You slap those cuffs on me. I've got 10 supporters, 10 supporters that'll go to the mat for me. You and they pull me out in this car and it's on television. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Each and every one of them are going to send nuclear codes, nuclear locations of our, of our mm -hmm. facilities to Iran, to Russia, to China, to North Korea, to all of my friends over there, all right? And now you have a big problem on mm -hmm. your hands, all right? Just so you understand, that's the end game. You want to play this game? I'm, I'm playing a bigger game than you. That's the Donald Trump that I know, and that's the way that I can see Donald doing something like that. There is no reason in the world that any of these documents should have been None. at Mar-a-Lago. It's, it's first, like I said, it is not his private home. It is a country right. club that people pay $300,000 bond to become a member of. There's, let's say, five, six, seven hundred families that are members there. You, you know, your tell me that one of them would can't sell more books than mine, first of all. It's more interesting. And number two, Donald Trump could 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 lay waste to your plot line if he came out and said, I took these pictures from the White House because they were family pictures. They were taken during this. Or I took these documents because there were mementos or that. You remember that uh, map I drew of the hurricane and I, I sharpied. I drew that because I thought, you know, that like he hasn't come out and said this is nothing. He's come out and said it's uh, illegal. It's politicized. It's a witch hunt. They're after me. He's done all the stuff that activates that base that you're talking about. And that grift, right? Because he was making money off of it from the moment it happened. He and the RNC both went out there yep. to make money. He could he could say, Michael Cohen's talking nonsense. Let me tell you what was in there. But he hasn't for whatever reason, right? He hasn't come out and said, this was right. nothing. You guys are all overreacting. This is like souvenirs and stuff like that I took from my office. He hasn't said it. Well, first of all, we know. Right. But we know for a fact that it is not Correct. souvenirs. Some of it in those may have been his love letters to right. Kim Jong-un right. and love letters to Putin and Erdogan or whoever else it might have been. However, what we know, documented and stated, 
is that the FBI collected 11 more sets of documents, including five of which are marked top secret, with three marked secret, and then three labeled confidential. All right. Right. That is not love letters. That's correct. They're not souvenirs. They're not pictures of him pushing whoever it was out of the way for the G9 or whatever it was, the summit. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that Donald keeps talking about is how the Biden administration is weaponizing the Justice Department in order to go after him because it happens to be the subject of my, you know, of my book. Let me see if I can get that up there for you. Um, well, it looks doing magic like tricks. Up. There we go. There, but, we go. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yep. All right. Revenge. But what's the subline after revenge? How Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against right. his right. critics. He's using my yep. title against the Biden yep. administration. How amazing is that? Basically, what's happened is Trump demonstrated. Trump demonstrated. And I asked people to go and to read the forward. You can get it at. Uh, revenge-thebook.com. You could read the forward onto it to see whether or not you want to pre-order. And so it's fascinating because what I did is I dissected what happened to me. And at the the ultimate conclusion is that this was all done at the direction of, and in his mind, the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Yet he's trying to use the same playbook that I started writing 11 months ago Against the Biden administration. Why? Because he knows what he right. did. And so it, for Donald Trump, we've talked about this a hundred times on your shows, Ali. Right? It's deflection. Whatever bad shit he's doing, he right. wants to push on to somebody right. else and claim this is against me when he was the one that was doing it against other people. So it's truly... He won't run then because... There is some school of thought that the, that the walls are closing in on him. There are some things that are happening right now that are going to get closer and closer to him. I don't know that any, anything ever ends up with Donald Trump in handcuffs or Donald Trump indicted. But isn't running, doesn't it allow him to continue both the grift and this defense that he has that everything's politicized? So, so not the grift, because then he would have to form a right. campaign, a legitimate campaign, and he would not be permitted to keep 90% of what he raises, right? Now, will Donald try to find a way around that? Potentially, yes, no, but he knows he can't win, all right? He just knows statistically, numbers-wise, he cannot win. He could win the Republican nomination, depending upon how many people and, and end up joining that the last field. time around, too. A lot of states just said, for, for the few people who were running against Donald Trump, they just said, we're not having a you know primary in these states or whatever. So so that he wants to, he exactly. can win that because that's not a that's not a fair process. Right it, exactly. But he but he knows he can't win the general election. He also has an incredibly fragile ego. Right. Along with his little hands, he is a fragile ego that. If he he cannot stomach the fact that he will be a two time loser, and then that would be the end of his big lie, the big grift, and so on, he's going to make some sort of a claim that you know it's just he cannot put his family through additional torture like what they're doing to him. But he will remain a kingmaker in the Republican Party. That way, he gets the best of both worlds. And um, I do think, though, that the the elevation 
of uh, Kerry Lake to uh, run for governor of Arizona and the elevation of Doug Mastriano run to for governor of Pennsylvania. I don't think there's any chance Mastriano uh, wins because even Republicans are based uh, are supporting his Democratic opponent at this point. But there are two people who have said that 2020 election was a sham. And if I become governor, I'll make sure this doesn't happen again. So I, I have to say, if you're building the little empire of election denial, Donald Trump's had two victories in the last few months. Yeah, and that he most certainly has. But those are two states and you got to you still have to take the other 48 in the territories and so on. So, you know, not so easy for him numbers wise. He just knows he can't win. So why run in a in a race when you know that you can't win and it takes away your grift. But one of the, the last question to my you know, to my first question to you is um, he knows that there's a leak. There's no yes, doubt about I'm, that. I'm very intrigued because you were the first one who introduced to me sort of an idea of where this could come from. Yeah. And I, what I had said on your show is I believe that it's Jared Kushner. And again, it's my it's my belief. So, look, anybody who has a safe in their home, the reason that you have a safe is in order to protect valuables, whether it's your will, trusts, money, jewelry, what your passports, whatever it might be. You don't go and advertise that you have a safe, right? So who knows that Ali Velshi has a safe in his home? Well, your wife, your kids, probably, especially if they're of age. Um, and that's pretty much right. it. Who else other than that are you going to trust? Mark Meadows? Right. Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, Matt Gates, who will end up going into it, taking the cash in order to pay for his young, you know, for his young dates. No, your kids. Now, is Jared family? Technically not, right? I mean, he's the in-law. But Ivanka has done a tremendous job since day one, pushing him to be secretary of everything. So not only did they know exactly where the safe was, but with certain degree of specificity they knew exactly what was inside right. of that safe which means to me it has to be five one of five people it's definitely not don jr because trump has consistently stated that don jr is the worst fucking judgment of anyone he's ever met he wouldn't give him the combo he wouldn't <laughs> tell him anything about it he wouldn't tell him what's inside of it and don is sort of has not been the don that i know right since he's with this kimberly gargoyle um he's certainly not her eric he would he would trust Eric, believe it or not, is more ground stupid as shit, but he's more grounded and he's certainly loyal, you know, to his dad and out there spewing the Trump lies. Then again, there's Ivanka. And if you tell Ivanka, you may as well tell Jared because they are Javanka, right? She pushed him into that position as secretary of everything. So to me, it only makes sense. But the part that really is why I believe it's Jared. Jared, who was the secretary of everything, his dirty fingers were in everything. And including now recently receiving over $2 billion from the Saudi for a, for a fund that he has absolutely no qualification for. And, and, and the board we know of that, that he fund, was involved in the investment committee on that fund said so. They said, I don't think it's a good idea. Said so, ex exactly. Un until MBS overruled them. And of course, they're afraid of him. So 
with all the dirty shit that's going on in Trump's world, all the dirty shit that was going on, including the pardons that were handed out, Jared all of a sudden, oh, I wasn't involved in January 6th, I was busy working on pardons, more like collecting cash, right? All of a sudden, you don't see Jared named in anything. He's sort of, to me, like the Whitey Bulger, right? What was it called? Like White something or another, name of that movie, um, you know, where Whitey Bulger's out there killing people on the streets. And because he was an FBI informant, they just left him alone. You know, he was doing his drug deals and so on. That's why I believe that Jared is the informant. I've been saying it for the longest time. Well, what's he get you know, Tom Barrick Jared now. get out of it? Because Jared would has benefited from the Trump administration because of this this investment uh, company he now has, and because he got his father the pardon, and and so what does Jared get for getting Trump in trouble? Well, he first of all he gets to extricate himself from what this gigantic turmoil of Trumpism is. That's number one. Number two, with that he's able to possibly um, he and Ivanka and the children return to polite society where no one wants to deal with them because they, they're just, that administration is just so fucking yeah. despicable, right? Um, and so on top of that, he's got two and a half billion dollars at a two and 20, meaning he turns the light on January 1 every year, he gets a $50 million paycheck. So he's doing just fine on that. And 20% of any profit that he may get lucky, right? Because I think he's an idiot, um, that he may get lucky and ultimately, um, you know, make a few dollars on. So plus, he's no longer in the crosshairs of the administration, the FBI, the DOJ, and so on. He's the, you know, he's the witness. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I truly and believe the DOJ is looking on. back on the idea that we're not, we're not, we don't want this affidavit in public because... We got sources and methods that we do not want compromised. So uh, there's a lot of intrigues. So, Ali, let me ask you this then. Because I understand that when Biden ended up choosing Merrick Garland for the job of attorney general, he told Garland that he was to act completely independent of his administration. The goal, of course, being to restore the public's faith in the Department of Justice after Bill Barr, that slovenly scumbag, right, um, you know, screwed it up, including Trump, over the course of their administration. How do you think that that's going so far? And what's your general take on how Garland is handling the job? Well, I, I talk to a lot of people who are deeply, deeply frustrated by Merrick Garland and uh, the speed at which they do not seem to be moving, particularly on January 6th stuff. On the other hand, I talk to a lot of people who are former DOJ people who say the DOJ has gone through its worst times under Donald Trump. Uh, morale was very, very low. They were disrespected and dishonored. And that Merrick Garland, for better or for worse, cares deeply about the law and is deeply deliberative as a human. That's just how he is. Uh, in fact, they, there are things written now about the fact that he's he moves with more haste than he used to. But, you know, when you're the Department of Justice and you ask other governments for uh, assistance in things, the letter goes out under the name of the, the attorney general and that Garland would parse these documents, these sort of almost pro forma stuff uh, where the Department of Justice is asking the you know, the government of Kenya for assistance in this particular um, uh, investigation. He parses everything. He looks into it. So I do believe the conversation happened. 
I do believe uh, Joe Biden said the only way to rebuild the trust in the Department of Justice is if people do not think you're my attorney general, which is what Trump used to say of Barr or anybody all the time, my attorney general. And he used to make references to the Department of Justice as if it were his own plaything. I think Biden believes that's wrong. And I think Merrick Garland believes that's wrong. And I think in the end, their behavior will lead to uh, greater respect for the Department of Justice. However, in the interim, democracy is falling apart. And, and a whole bunch of people are very worried and think that Donald Trump should face the consequences for his role in that. And it doesn't, it looks like Merrick Garland is not just apolitical, but he's politics averse. And the Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, search warrant was the biggest step we've seen by him. And we've also heard other things that they're, they're more involved in the January 6th stuff than uh, some of my viewers believe. So I don't know. I've heard a great deal of frustration about, about Merrick Garland, but I do believe he's a man of integrity, and I believe his marching orders from Biden are true. You're not my Justice Department. You're not my Attorney General. You're the Attorney General of the United States of America, so do what you think is appropriate. What is appropriate and what is legally sound is perhaps in this moment deeply unsatisfying to a lot of people who watch Donald Trump for four years and thinks he should pay a price for it. Well, including myself, who ended up being charged, right, because I paid Stormy Daniels at his direction and for his benefit. I'll, I promise you one thing, you know, when the book drops, when revenge uh, drops, the Department of Justice is not going to be happy with the book. It is extremely critical, um, provides documents, provides statements from people who are there right now um, that talk about how there was a coordinated effort. All obviously started by the big guy, right, in order to silence his critics. And if silencing the critics meant throwing them in jail and working with the Southern District, and it names everybody, and they're not going to be happy about right. it. And I am kind of in one respect glad that Joe Biden chose somebody as deliberate as Merrick Garland. However, I think I fall better and more in the camp of I want to see justice. For me, it's fucking personal, mm -hmm. right? To turn my family's life upside down, to destroy, to destroy my my life, all of my work of you know earning money and and being successful before going to work for this narcissistic sociopath, right? I want to see like what's happening with Alan Weisselberg. Right. I'm angry. I'm angry about it, even though he's going to take a deal a five-month deal. What kind of bullshit is that? This is a guy who for 15-plus years, 50 years since he started working for Trump, has been involved in every shady shit that Donald has been involved, especially financially, which I provided all that documentation. You hear from Mark Pomerantz. You heard it from Carrie Dunn. Two people with knowledge. Now, all of a sudden, the guy strings the system along provides zero information. I gave over 600 hours of testimony, right? I get 36 months. This fuck nut, this scumbag ends up getting five months in a plea deal with no cooperation, no information. I don't know. You know, so this what, is what the problem. You, though? What does success look like here? Because I, I, I fall on the side of people, and it's certainly not as personal to me as it is to you. But, you know, the erosion of democracy feels personal to me, and I, I think it should to a lot of people. The usage of the Department of Justice as a political tool feels very like bad things that have happened in, in history and that continue to happen in the world. So where's that ground that is satisfactory, where justice looks like it's being served on a timeline that looks like it's 
cognizant of the end of democracy being on our doorstep while while depoliticizing the Department of Justice, right? I just don't know what that, and maybe Merrick Garland can never get to that that magic place. But do we know- well, Alvin Bragg can't get to, Alvin Bragg doesn't seem to be getting to it either. Right, so what right? Do I think like? we have, yeah, what does it look like? It looks like, you know, what needs to be done is that the- Justice has to be blind, which is why Lady Justice wears a blindfold. It shouldn't matter if you're Alan Weisselberg, chief operating officer of the Trump organization, or Joe Bag of Donuts, right, that works in the, you know, in the, in the local pastry shop. It makes no difference. You should be treated equally. This guy delayed, 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 filed motion after motion for summary judgment uh, and all other sorts of delay tactics, refused to testify, refused to provide any information. And all of a sudden now, all of a sudden now, his lawyers are negotiating a plea deal yeah. of five months, right. right? It's just, there has to be equal justice under the law. Otherwise, there should be, there should be no laws. I mean, that's just, you know, if... It does, shouldn't matter if you're black or you're white. Shouldn't matter if you're male, female. Shouldn't matter, matter if you're straight, gay. Shouldn't matter if you're the COO of a multi-billion dollar, you know, alleged multi-billion dollar real estate company or just, you know, a guy on the street. It should make no difference. It should be an equally distributed um, sentence for the specific crime. End of story. Otherwise, we don't really have, as my father says, and it breaks my heart, because, you know, I've told you this, my dad being a Holocaust survivor loves this country. And he always, as I remember as a kid, he would talk about what a wonderful America is. Today, he doesn't feel the same way. What he'll tell me is that we are a country of laws without justice. And for my father, who's turning 87 next week, I promise you, right? This is so hurtful to me to be a part of taking away what this man always saw as the shining light of the world, the seeing the Statue of Liberty from a boat as they were, you know, coming to Ellis Island after the war. It's wrong. And Merrick Garland needs to do more. I know it's all about the politicization of the Department of Justice, but you cannot come off of an abuse like what Trump gave. You cannot yep. to absolutely nothing. So let me then move on and ask you this. I'm wondering if you think that there's been a shift in how the press is dealing with Trump, like he's less of a potential candidate for president and more an American oddity, right? Great for headlines, but too mired in legal battles to be taken seriously for a presidential run. I mean, even Laura Ingraham has signaled to her viewers that it's time to turn the page on Trump. So what do you think, right? Has Trump lost some of his appeal? Sadly, right, and I've heard on, on MSNBC, no less, that if Trump is indicted, it would actually be good for his presidential prospect. Is that even possible? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm always confused by stuff, right? That guy who went and shot up the FBI office in Cincinnati the other day, uh, and it posted on truth social Trump's social media platform that he was going to do it. And someone actually posted back, you know what? We're telling the FBI about this. And he says, bring it. And, and the thing that alarmed me most about this guy after, uh, he was killed and, and they found out what he had posted, he didn't care, but he wasn't 
he wasn't from the bowels of the right wing fringe conspiracy theory Internet. Right. This was not a weird white supremacist, neo-Nazi, any of those people who really this guy was a Donald Trump supporter who was on Donald Trump's uh, social media thing. That's my fear that that Donald Trump's supporters have become that they've become mainstream. They will act on what he says. They believe in what he says. They are absent uh, critical thinking. And if I had a, a, a lot of them like he does, I might be I might continue down this road of saying I wield political power. Clearly, he does. I mean, we saw some interesting results out of the primaries in the last several weeks, but we saw what we really saw was that people who stood up against Trump, generally speaking, got obliterated and people who uh, underscored his election denial won their elections. Now, we don't know if that'll, how that's going to pan out in the in the actual midterm elections. But I I am not hopeful that Donald Trump reads these tea leaves and says, I should pull back and that I'm an oddity. I think he believes he's a political force. The Republican Party for what it is right now, believes he's a political force. And Republican voters who for some time have been blameless because they haven't been voting are actually voting for people who support him. So you and I are are, are coming to different conclusions about what what Donald Trump will do. And as much as I think that he has demonstrated a need for legal action to be taken, I guarantee that that will become the martyrdom or the attempted martyrdom of, of Donald Trump. Now, that's no reason not to pursue legal justice against someone. But I I have never seen somebody who can capitalize on bad fortune as effectively as Donald Trump can. No, that's that's who he is. Meanwhile, talk about you're right. Talk about the numbers of candidates. Trump you know, endorsed more candidates in 2022, right, than in any other year yeah. since you know he started playing with this thing. 223 in the regular in, uh, regular endorsements, right, and then two in special elections. Meanwhile, the son of a bitch is 93 percent. He's 93% so far, right? Including, and this is the part that really scares and should scare the shit out of everybody. At least 120 election deniers have already won their GOP nomination for the Senate, the House, governor, attorney general races, secretary of state races. This is scary shit. 120 Right. Elections. Really? And so these these 120 election deniers, it's it's incredible. They they don't believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president. Right. That somehow or another, the election was stolen from Donald Trump. I mean, it's it's scary. It's if it wasn't true. It would actually be funny if this was in like a House of Cards type show. You would turn around, you would scratch your head and say, oh, my God, what the fuck is wrong? What's wrong? Who writes who writes shit like this? Come on, give me a goddamn break. Well, let me then ask you this, Ali. How can the press bring down the political temperature when the news agency there is partisan as the political parties themselves, and especially now that the FBI and anyone willing to take legal action against Trump are being threatened by the MAGA minions. I mean, Tucker Carlson, as an example, is certainly pumping up the fear factor. Is there an equivalent form of manipulation that happens in the liberal media? I mean, is there any such thing as balanced news today? I, um, I hope so. Uh, you know, Michael, somebody asked me on Monday night at a forum that I was at, they said, how do I get more neutral news? And I said, that's not the goal. The goal shouldn't be to get neutral news. The goal shouldn't be uh, even objectivity or or nonpartisan stuff. It should be reliability, 
honesty, accuracy, right? I, I don't really care whether I'm hearing from a conservative or a liberal. I want them to be telling me the truth. The, the danger in the mass media today um, is that it, it steers people on the basis of lies um, and, and mistruth. So I, I don't know how you fix that problem. The problem, Michael, is that people need to be critical thinkers, right? They need to be critical thinkers about stuff that's going on, about propaganda they get, and they've got to triangulate their ways of getting information. Um, and, and we don't because people are lazy consumers. And I get it because they've got other things to do with their lives. They're not going to watch three news channels and read uh, three different perspectives. But I really think that's the only solution. And while we may only be able to solve it for a a much younger generation, because we maybe have to teach this in school, critical thinking and, and, and news consumption, that's the only answer here. Because the number of people I run into who believe BS and I can give them evidence, I can give them printouts, I can show them documents, but they believe what they believe. And Donald Trump is the living example of the he says stuff and people believe it. And it doesn't matter whether it's been disproved in court or whether it's the, the evidence is against it. And that, I think, is the enemy right now. The absence of critical thinking, which, by the way, when I was in Eastern Europe covering the, the war in Ukraine, I saw the same thing. I, I had Ukrainian kids telling me about their Russian parents or their parents in Crimea, their parents in Russia, who will not even believe that a missile was sent to their city the day before or whatever. They just think the whole thing's a lie. It's a hoax. And when I said to these Ukrainians, do you think your parents could get better information if they wanted to? Could they use a VPN? And they said, of course they can. Everybody can get better information if they wanted it. They choose not to because it makes them feel good. It gives them comfort. And that's what right-wing media is doing to a lot of aggrieved Americans. What's our job if we're not in right-wing media? Maybe it's to figure out a little bit more about these aggrieved Americans and why they feel the way they do so that we can engage in a discussion in which we recognize their rights to be here as much as as ours. Um, But that, you know, that and a full head of hair uh, are the two things I wish for that I don't know I'm going to get. Yeah, well, I hear you on that one. But, you know, it's funny because when you start talking about um, this innuendo that goes on. It's not fact. It's Correct. not news. It's all innuendo, including when you hear somebody like Sean Hannity on Fox News say, whoa, whoa, I'm not a journalist. I'm a talk show host. That's a problem. You're getting your news from a talk show host? Right. Why don't you just get it from fucking Jerry Springer or, you right. know, or whatever the cop's name is, you know, um, you know, that's that took over another show after him. Or why don't you, you know, why don't you get your legal experience from Judge Judy while you're at it? I mean, look, right. they're entertaining, they're fun. And so but that's not but that's not what your news channel. I agree with you. But that's yeah. that's a responsibility we all have to take on. And some of us in my industry have decided and some companies in my industry have decided that's not what it's worth. It's worth the, the eyeballs and the ratings and the advertising dollars. And that's that's more valuable than holding up journalism in a time where we need it more than we've ever needed it before. Democracy really is imperiled in America. And it's up to journalists to bear witness and hold people to account. And half my profession has decided that's not their job. Yeah, which is sad. So then let me ask you this. What's it going to take for MAGA true believers to finally wake up to the actual truth? How do we even get them the actual truth? Because I, I know that because I know that Watergate took years. Yeah. I mean, years to sink in. But we have what? 90 days before yeah. the midterms? And with so Watergate, what's the potential? With, understanding, in, with Watergate, there was an understanding amongst mainstream conservatives that that 
this has gone too far. This is beyond the pale. This is not who we are. This doesn't represent us. The problem is the institution of the Republican Party has not separated itself from Donald Trump. So that hurts, too. That that The, the combination of the, the, the MAGA true believers, Donald Trump, and a Republican Party who is not prepared to say, we need to move beyond this. We need to do something else. We need to get our actual agenda items implemented, our policies implemented, as opposed to whatever this is that Donald Trump is doing. But we haven't had a force like Donald Trump possibly ever in this country. And I don't think anybody's equipped to handle it. I have no idea. I, I was hoping you'd tell me, what do we do to convince people? How Could we even convince them? And what do we do? Well, you know, that was part Not of, look, Ali, that was, what are you going to yeah, do about it? That was, that was part of my next part of the question I was going to ask you, you know, what's the potential that anything's going to change between now and then? And can anything move the needle past our partisanship? And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm with you on this one. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Those people who believe in Donald Trump, I don't care what you tell them. I don't care what you show them. Because that's exactly what the January 6th hearings are. We're showing you the facts. It's not just we're showing you the facts. The people that were in the room are telling you. There's tape recordings. There's documentation and right. so on. And all the people turn around and say... Yeah, but I'm paying $6 a gallon. First of all, you're not anymore, all right? That's number one. Number two, you weren't paying $6 back then either, right? They're hearing it on Tucker Carlson and Fox and, and all right. OAN and Newsmax. And it's like you're arguing, as my grandma used to say, you can't argue with stupid. And these people are so fucking brainwashed, they don't care. Ali, they don't care what the reality is. Every single no. thing that they hear on Fox, OAN, Newsmax, they're just parroting. And the funny thing is these aren't uneducated people that I'm having these discussions with. Some of them are enormously rich. And as I say to them, I know what, you, I know what your issue is. I know why you support Trump. Because you, you motherfucker, you made a boatload of fucking money, right? And now you're on your second G650 for another $80 million and you're buying, you're getting rid of your 200 foot boat to get a 250 and you're sitting there with now your seventh house. You're willing to trade America, to trade democracy, yep. to trade our constitution for another fucking bauble to stick on your wife's neck? What's wrong with you, right? The fact that I, your I'm child, you. your daughter... You. You know, your but daughter that now be the only hope we've got. Right. Because because that's still a reasoned argument. The yeah, Michael, you're right. I do like my money and I like making more of it. And that's how we have to deal with it. UK today came out and said their inflation is 10 percent. Is that Biden's fault, too? Is Donald Trump also going to solve that if you if you if you bring uh, if you bring Donald Trump back? I think the the idea that someone still might have a reasoned argument because that guy went up, shut up the FBI office, didn't have a reasoned argument. There's no talking to him. That's we're done. But for people who make that argument about gas prices, inflation, the handling of the economy, blah, 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 blah. I remind them the option was Donald Trump. And if you're OK with the dismantling of democracy so that you can get wealthier, there's something wrong with you. And I'm a you remember, Michael. I'm a business reporter. I'm an economics reporter. I'm a pro-capitalist. I like capitalism. I report on public markets. I, I believe in the creation of wealth, and I believe in the largely unfettered creation of wealth, which is really good in America. But I don't believe in the, at the expense of democracy at all. Right. Zero. Right. Right. And you know what this ass clown turned around and said to me? When I brought up Roe v. Wade, when I brought up the Supreme right. Court, you know what his response was? 
You know, I have a lot of money I could send my kid to Switzerland for. I could send, if it's my son that gets involved, I can send, you know, the girl with my son and five chaperones. I can put them on my private plane and send them over there to do whatever I want. I'm not worried about this. This doesn't affect me. And yeah. that, that to me was the, the single most infuriating thing to say. You're above everybody else because you made a dollar. You right. asshole, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. So let me just jump on abortion rights for a quick second, because how can abortion right activists capitalize on the win in Kansas? Because I'm sure the anti-abortion right folks are out in force. But Kansas, Kansas told the yeah. rest of America that stealing that right may be a bridge too far. Do you think that yeah. this one issue can change the tide in November? Some people I've spoken to do. Uh, you know, Michigan has the opposite of Kansas. It, it doesn't. It has a, a law that's from the uh, the 19th century, uh, or maybe the yeah, maybe the early 20th century. It's got a really old abortion law that it's defaulted to. Right? There's some uh, prosecutors in Michigan who have said we will not prosecute abortion in our counties. But if in November they elect um, a Republican attorney general, the attorney general says that they will do what. Uh, what Ron DeSantis did in Florida, right? Where there was an there was a, a district attorney said they will not, um, uh, or a, a, one of the state attorneys, Andrew, Andrew War, Andrew Warren, yeah, right? And he and he and he, he gave him trouble for that. So what Michigan's trying to do is get abortion protections into the state constitution, like like Kansas had. I'm not sure that it works as well as an affirmative as opposed to taking away an affirmative right. So we'll have to see whether that can work. But it may have a lot of people show up uh, to the polls and and you're. With abortion rights, you're actually penetrating a group that is beyond partisan politics because there are a lot of Republicans who don't like the idea of abortion, but they also don't like the idea of Handmaid's Tale and medieval stuff that's going on. I just came back from um, Alabama where it's medieval, right? If you if you don't like abortion, you might then prefer that a whole lot of unwanted babies are not born, but they don't make it easy for people to get uh, contraceptives. And in a number of states, they're moving to ban contraceptives. They're moving to ban medication abortion. So I actually think that the Republicans may may have, uh, what did somebody explain to me? It's it's the, the dog slamming into the car. This is better than the dog chasing the car. The dog is now slammed into the car with abortion and a whole lot of Republicans don't know what to do with it. Now, the flip side, Michael, lots of Republicans do know what to do with it. They're fully on board with how medieval and draconian some of these laws are going to be. And if women register, if everybody registers, never, not just women, but all of us register that this is this is about the control of women and their bodies. This is not about your opinion on abortion. That is important and valid. But do you believe in the criminalization of women and their and their reproductive health care providers? That that may be enough to get some people out to the polls uh, voting against uh, people who would have this happen than not. I, but I'm, I'm not sure of that yet. Well, what we really need is we need Jamie Harris and the DNC to start really pushing this issue and others, because these these are the types of issues that will bring people to yes. the polls. Yes. The fact that, you know, I understand that they're even now working on their, you know, dogs are able to smell hormones, that they're going to have dogs <laughs> over at airports and, and train stations to ensure that if you leave and that you're pregnant, that... This is this is Handmaid's Tale all over. But in well, Alabama, if you have a miscarriage, because a quarter of all pregnancies end up as miscarriages, now you have to worry about whether that attorney general who's looking for a, a case to be made, he's looking for an example somewhere, is going to go after you and your doctor. Can you imagine a woman who's having that no. health care issue where you're, you're pregnant and you think you might have miscarried or you're, you're bleeding heavily, but you're not. You're scared now to go to a doctor because you don't want somebody 
trying to figure out whether you tried to abort your child. What the hell, Michael? It's 2022. I know. I, I, I have no idea. We're really going back to the Stone Age. But look, Ali, it's, it's clear now what the Democrats should be running on. Like if I was telling Jamie Harrison, right, in the DNC, this is what you want to push. Abortion rights, gun safety, and two of Americans' other main concerns, inflation and prescription drugs, right? They're all yeah. being addressed right, right yeah. now to some degree by the Inflation Reduction Act. How yeah. can Democrats finally capitalize on all the policy Biden and Democrats have been able to get passed into law? This is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is, is really good, good stuff because yeah. the average American will be positively impacted yeah. by these new laws. But what's more important to voters today, grievance politics or sound policy that actually helps people. I don't know yeah. anymore. I, I don't know either. And grievance, grievance politics has worked worldwide for a very, very long time. Um, the Holocaust was born out of grievance, grievance politics. Right? I mean, keep capitalizing on this stuff continues to happen and happens all over the world. Uh, I'm sad that it still happens to us. But this so a lot of things have to come together. If, if, if inflation starts to come down, if um, this this cap on prescription drugs in the Inflation Reduction Act is massive, $2,000, still a lot of money, but it wasn't there before. This idea that some drugs can be negotiated for, that's massive. Um, the, the, the fact that climate, this administration is doing something about it, that should motivate a whole lot of younger voters to say, hey, by the way, nobody did anything about this until now. It may not be everything you wanted because it's definitely not everything climate activists wanted, but it is more than America has ever done before and goes in the right direction. There's all sorts of positive policy reasons to get out there and and vote and remain exchanged. Part of the problem engaged. Part of the problem is that people, when start things start to go their way, they feel a little less engaged. It's like, oh, inflation's coming down, gas prices are coming down, uh, pay less for prescription drugs. Things are not all that bad. I don't have to vote. I think our only work, Mark, uh, Mike, uh, your work and my work, our only work in the next few months is to remind people that the only choice right now is democracy versus not democracy. It's not a Republican Democrat thing. And the only and, and so support Demo support Republicans who are pro-democracy. And the only issue right now is the preservation of that democracy and the role you can play in it. You can't change the world, but you can register to vote. You can make sure somebody else registers to vote. You can get out there to your um, school board meetings and you can you can even run for office with the understanding. Get what? When you run for office, you might lose, but you you, you are in the game. That's Look, I tried it. Of the moment. Importance of the moment is to be in the arena with everybody else right now. That's what the work of an American who believes in democracy, no matter what mm -hmm. their political stripe is in the next three months. Yeah, but we have other issues too going on here. Like, let me give you an example. So Joe Biden, it is inarguable that Joe Biden has had an exceptional few weeks with a bunch of surprising wins. Yep. However, however, his numbers are still dismal. They don't They're move. As low as they, they don't move, right? But Never he's seen still. Like yeah. Me neither. But he's still proving himself to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Ali. What's the smart play if you're Biden? Quit while you're ahead or try to hang in there for another four years when even members of your own party are telling you, Joe, you're too old. Step back. What do you do? So part of the problem is it's not obvious what the Democrats would do um, post Joe Biden, right? Like a lot of people forget that while Joe Biden wasn't a lot of people's first choice for president, there were very few other people running at the time, some of whom are more passionate, more interesting, more compelling, but they were not going to beat Donald Trump. 
right? It was just, that's just the way that the math was working out in the last election. And we don't know what that looks like for the next election. So to those who are in a hurry to get rid of uh, Joe Biden or have him not uh, say that he's going to run again, I would I would just implore everybody to think about what the plan is. And it might be that there's somebody out there or there's people out there who can create a case for themselves. But I remind you that the names that people bring up, uh, including Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, great policy minds. They have they, they tend to be able to appeal to people across party lines. They didn't win last time. And they, 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 they weren't there last time. They weren't able to. So I caution Democrats to say, for the moment, if you need a cleanup man, which is what a lot of people voted for Joe Biden to be, you have a cleanup man. And, and that's never going to rate all that well, because who cares? You're just you're trying to clean up a mess. I would let this play out a little bit if I were Joe Biden and see if going out at the top or going out after you achieve what you said you were going to achieve starts to look like a possibility. And if that work looks like it's happening, if it were me, I'd leave. But I would never run for president because I wouldn't want that headache. So I, I don't know what motivates Joe Biden to want to continue to do this. But I also don't know what the option is at the moment. And I say the same thing about Republicans, by the way. I think the Republicans should launch a, a major challenge or people who thought they were Republicans and conservatives should launch a major challenge versus Donald Trump. But it can't all be based on being against Donald Trump. Where are those leaders? We saw Liz Cheney say, you know, Lincoln lost his Senate election and his House election uh, and then ran for president. I think that was a hint that she's planning to run for president. But who will? Oh, she's going to she's going to run guaranteed. Yeah, if Donald is How do you run for president if you're a Republican? I mean, that's the whole question is, who are the people? What I would actually really like to see a Liz Cheney as a conservative presidential candidate and whomever the Democrats put up and get back into a, a actual policy debates, Michael, like actually talking yeah. about the things that we need to do as opposed to how about we dismantle democracy? How about we don't? How about we suppress votes? How about we don't? How about we have Roe v. Wade? How about we don't? Right. We're, we're in such existential angst right now. What if we could go back to actual policy discussions where Democrats and Republicans were on opposite sides, but there were good people who believed in democracy and believed in their country? We're not there right now. And I don't know. No, we're certainly not getting there in 90 days, but I don't know how we're getting there in two years and 90 days, uh, which will be our next presidential election. Yeah, I have no idea either. All I know is that, you know, I think Joe Biden, while a wonderful, wonderful human being, empathetic, everything that Donald yes. isn't, yes, he American. is, except... He's too old. I think we need in this country, like a Zelensky, a younger person who just is able to take us the next four years without having to worry every single day. Oh, he got COVID. Is he going to have a heart attack? You know, I mean, look, he's an elder man. I think the world of him, I think he's a great human being with so much love and compassion for this country, so much respect for the office. That's why I think that. Yeah, it'll be he, it'll be an easier should... conversation to have when it when when you start to see what options look like. Right. That's always the issue. It's like, what what do you do? What do you do right yeah. now? And I don't so, know. Ali, you said but to, I think you better yeah. look at it because the, the, the future of democracy does depend on some decisions that that uh that joe biden makes in the next it month. sure does so let me ask you because you said that you were just overseas reporting on ukraine earlier right yeah. um in this unfortunately you know we, as americans especially we have very short attention spans yeah. but what's your take on what's happening now in that region not just in ukraine but now sweden and finland will potentially become nato countries yeah. i mean the exact opposite of what Russia wanted is yep. now happening. So where does this all end? I mean, you know, Russia is technically isolated in the yep. world, but no less dangerous. What's what's happening there? 
probably more dangerous, actually, because when you're isolated and you're cornered, uh, you, 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 you get worse. Um, I, I think that there is some effort amongst the Russian people to try and make sense of this thing. Uh, Vladimir Karamursa, an opposition leader, one of the very few who's not been jailed, went back in April to be with the Russian people and got arrested the very next day. Um, you're right. Uh, the, the NATO border is expanding, which is exactly what Vladimir Putin didn't want. And there's probably talk about these military alliances getting bigger around the world. And by the way, uh, Nancy Pelosi and then some other people, including some Republicans, going to Taiwan was a very interesting signal, not just to China about not taking over Taiwan, but it was to Russia as well to say this concept of America standing up for democracies is going to be stronger, not weaker. So I think a lot of interesting things have happened. But with each passing day in that war, it's advantage Russia because Russia can can bring up, you know, they've just got more resources than Ukraine has. What Ukraine has is the hearts and minds of the world. What Zelensky did is something nobody expected, right? He has got the world who I would tell you, a lot of my viewers probably couldn't have found Ukraine on a map, and that's not insulting my viewers. It's just it's not not on a lot of people's buckets list, not something we talk about a lot. And now everybody not only knows about Ukraine, but they know it's a democracy. They know we want to support it. Um, and we know we, we, we know that we drew a line somewhere. We said this can't just happen. So uh, it is six months now since this war started. Um, it's a stalemate. At the moment, Russia is not looking to overtake Ukraine anymore. That's a win. They still just want their their two parts of it in the east. And Ukraine's not prepared to give it up. And I don't know the circumstance under which this this changes. Uh, but the longer it goes, if we're talking about this in six more months, uh, Michael, and it hasn't changed, it means that Russia will just start to live out what's so, the so-called facts on the ground and will have annexed and taken over these uh, eastern parts of Ukraine. They'll hold a referendum, a sham one like they did in Crimea. And guess what? Ninety six percent of the people or ninety nine percent of the people will say we'd like to join Russia or be some vassal state of Russia. And then they will administer it as such. But the world does not seem to be prepared to accept the fact that Russia just walked into another country and took it over like we did let them do with Crimea. We mm -hmm. seem to be saying this is now uh, not acceptable. NATO is stronger as a result, and probably pro-democratic alliances around the world will be stronger. But there's a lot of authoritarians in the world who are sitting there saying, huh, interesting. You can sort of get away with this if you want to. Yeah, well, we've seen, unfortunately, too much of that. But Ali, as the hour comes to an end here on Maya Culp, I have one last question. A little bit yeah. of a personal question for you. Because, look, you're a Canadian-born Muslim, and I'm an East Coast Jew. I wonder if the violence that Christian nationalists now threaten on the daily basis worries you at all. It does me. I have to be honest. It, does. it yeah. really does. And recently, like what just happened with Salman Rushdie nearly killed yeah. because of religious extremism. But is it something that you think about living and working in the United States? And because of your platform, because of your, you know, you're, you're out yeah. there like, like yeah. I am. Have threats to you, your family, or your life increased of late? You know, um, I mean, I get a tremendous amount of hate mail as well. I get yeah. a lot of people on, you know, my TikTok. I get on Instagram, on my on my Twitter account. I get on social yeah. media. I get, you know, a lot of a lot of fucking haters. To be honest yeah. with you, are you getting the same thing? Yeah, I do get it, and I've I've had it a lot over the last uh, few years. And like you. Uh, it actually increased when Donald Trump started uh, talking about me or paying attention uh, to stuff I was doing. 
And I do worry about it. Like the Salman Rushdie thing, it was a totally different form of extremism, but it's the same thing, right? It's this idea that, yes. that this flourishes in America and it shouldn't. We should all, no matter who we are, be against uh, extremism. And I, I didn't spend a lot of time in my life thinking about it, but yeah, it worries me now. The, the fanatics and extremists and white nationalists and neo-Nazis and all of this stuff, um, it, it does trouble me. It does trouble me. And I love being in the public, right? I love being a journalist. I love these debates. I love criticism criticism of what I do. I'm the same as you, right? I'm, I'm totally fine with somebody saying, I heard you on TV that you've got the wrong idea about this or you're incorrect or I'll come and debate you. I'm all in for all of that. I'm all in for people who do not share my faith, my, my food preferences, my political preferences, all that. There's a line. And we are in America crossing that line. There are now people who make threats uh, about your life and your livelihood and what should happen to you. Or, you know, for me, they're less these direct threats than illusions, right? About mm-hmm. should this should happen to you, or if only this would happen to you. And, and and yeah, there's no point where I don't. I'm immune to it. You're not immune to it, Michael. You're, you're tough. No, you know, a lot of it, but you're not immune to. You're never immune to people. No. Who, imply that your your life or livelihood is in danger because of the views you have. And I'm so determined to change that, right? I'm so determined to never let those people win. Um, but then you see what happened to Salman Rushdie. He's been determined for decades to not let those people win. And someone almost won. They almost yeah. won. All these years later, someone almost took uh, Salman Rushdie out. And I think that we have just got to, as a society, say it's bad when an Iranian fatwa results in Salman Rushdie being knifed on a stage in Chautauqua. It's bad when there are anti-Semitic incidents here. It's all of this is bad. All of this is bad and wrong. And there are more of us in the world who believe in pluralism and, and debate and who like to engage people who don't agree with us than the other side. And I think we have to, by example, Michael, just keep on going out there, finding people who don't agree with us, figuring out ways to talk to them and and, and get some successes and take, take some losses. But do not we cannot let extremism win. It wins too easily. Extremism is a is a match and a flame all uh, and fuel all in one. We can't let that happen here. Amen to that, my friend. You stay safe. So good to see you. I'll see you again very soon on the show. Absolutely. Um, it's always a good time with you. Uh, Michael, Ali, as always, thank be, you. Be well, my friend. Thank you for joining us today. And now for today's mea culpa. So the party of law and order is very excited because TV personality and host of for entertainment purposes only news show Hannity has proclaimed that being a felon doesn't stop you from being president. So no matter what crimes Trump is accused of, convicted of, he can still run for the presidency. Yippee! As I've said many times before, I'm not sure Trump will end up running for the presidency unless a run for the White House ends up being his best shot at getting out of jail free. But for those playing along at home, is it possible that a man as corrupt as Donald J. Trump would still be able to run despite an attempted coup, multiple election fraud cases, etc., etc., and etc.? In fact, with all of Trump's legal troubles, he or his representatives will be in a courtroom somewhere in America for the rest of his natural life and perhaps beyond. But for now, you might be wondering how is it possible that a mob-like boss like Trump can get clearance to run for the highest office in the land? Well, blame it on the Constitution. 
Our Constitution says presidential candidates must be citizens and residents of the United States for at least 14 years. Seems like a random number, but let's continue. You must be 35 years of age. It does not specify male or female. It also does not state that a criminal indictment or conviction prevents someone from running for president either. A separate section of the Constitution bans federal office holders who engaged in insurrection or rebellion from running. This was a condition added after the Civil War for obvious reasons. We could try using it today to keep the Marjorie Taylor Greens and other insurrectionists off the ballot, but it's a long shot. Judges, particularly conservative judges, have a way of interpreting the Constitution to mean whatever the fuck they want it to mean. Check any ruling made by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito to confirm my point. And lastly, some states have laws in place to bar felons from running from public office. For instance, in Florida, a felon can vote, serve on a jury, or hold public office. In Kentucky and Virginia, anyone with felony convictions is permanently disenfranchised for the whole political process. That means no voting, no running for office, nada. Your mistake, politically speaking, fucks you for life. But these are state and local laws. They don't apply to would-be federal office holders. So, barring any future convictions, the Teflon Don can still run for office. And you know what? So can I. Giving new meaning to the old adage, it's not the crime, it's if you get caught and convicted. So be good. And more importantly, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.